Hello everybody and welcome back to a new episode of the New Wine Ireland podcast. With COP26 coming up later this month, we thought it'd be a great time to share this conversation on climate change from our Summer 21 online conference, all about how we as Christians should be reacting to the climate crisis. We hope this conversation encourages you and challenges you to think about how the local church can make an impact. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, uh, and welcome to this new wine seminar um, on climate change and how local churches can change nations. Um, my name is Stephen True, and uh, you're, you're really welcome along. Just what we're going to do here is I'm going to introduce the panel uh, in a moment. Then we'll have a question for each panelist, and then we're going to have a bit of a group discussion for about the next 20, 25 minutes. And uh, it's lovely to have you along. Thank you for your interest and what churches can do for climate change and how we can make our, a difference where we live. Now, um, I just want to kick off with uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, which says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. And, and that really captures what we're talking about here, caring for creation. And uh, there's so much we could explore in that, but we'll, we'll leave that for another day. Uh, but that's the core beginning that in Christ, he is the creator and we want to care for, for what he did. And there's so much as part of that. Now, my uh, name is Stephen Tree, as I said. Um, I'm a work for the Department of Agriculture, Environment, Rural Affairs, helping farmers with doing uh, nature-friendly farming. Uh, but really, in, outside of work, I'm a climate activist and uh, in the Church of Ireland, and I've really campaigned for the church to remove its money from fossil fuel investments. And over the last five or eight years, has been about 50 million euro has been moved out of that. So that's been really good. Uh, I'm passionate about Christ, about nature and walking. And uh, so that, that's, that's me. Let's, let's go round round the, the, the clock here a little bit. So we'll start with, with Claire. We have a climate, Claire Noon, who is a climate scientist from Maynooth University. She's a senior postdoctoral researcher in the Irish Climate Analysis and Research Unit, Icarus, right? And uh, really her big thing is um, on air pollution and, and how, that, uh, how we can, climate change and air pollution are linked. And uh, she does things like low cost sensors and high resolution weather monitoring, all of the sciencey stuff is brilliant. And uh, she's also a mother, uh, climate scientist and passionate about climate change communication. So welcome, Claire. Thank you very much for, for coming. Then we have Joanne Sherwood. Uh, Joanne is the director of RSPB in Northern Ireland since 19, uh, 1914, <laughs> since 2014. And uh, uh, since uh, coming back to Northern Ireland for since working in 25 years in GDP. <laughs> public and private uh, environmental sectors, passionate about t tackling the causes and symptoms of climate change and the nature crisis, and wants to leave the planet in a better place for future generations. Then the Reverend Bob Kikuyu, uh, who is coming to us from uh, Nairobi in Kenya today, which is brilliant. Uh, Bob served uh, as the, he's the Global Theological Advisor at the Christian Aid in Nairobi, and he served as an executive director at Edu Kenya as well, an organization that provides transformative education in the slums of Nairobi. He also was a senior pastor for 18 years and 
is passionate about Christians engaging with social justice and rugby as well. And he was an international junior uh, in, his, in his youth, which is brilliant, and served uh, and won two senior club championships. So you're a knockout there, uh, Bob. <laughs> and then we have Gemma Brown. Uh, Gemma has worked for Tear Fund the, for five years. She is its uh, communications officer in Northern Ireland. And prior to this, she actually founded a charity uh, which uh, works against anti-trafficking called No More Traffic. So it's, it's brilliant to have you along, uh, Gemma. She's passionate about the power of a good story to change the world. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming along and uh, for, for joining our discussion. So. We want to turn, first of all, to the science, right? So Claire, can you tell us why is climate change an emergency? Yeah, the world is uh, currently facing a crisis. We have global temperatures are rising, sea level is rising, uh, we're experiencing more and more turbulent weather patterns. And then even at the moment, carbon dioxide is at its highest level in over 800,000 years. So for Ireland, climate projections, they uh, indicate changes in wind speed and wind st and storm tracks increased river and coastal flooding, just to name a few things. And in addition to that, fossil fuel is, is uh, responsible for um, 4.5 million premature deaths globally per year uh, due to air pollution. And in Ireland, that's about 1,300 premature deaths per year. But the IPCC message is very clear. There still is time to act. Every action matters, every bit of warming matters, every year matters, and every choice that we make matters. That's incredible. 1,300 premature deaths per year in Ireland uh, because of uh, linked to, to climate change. Incredible. Um, let, let's move to Joanne. Um, Joanne, we often hear about the climate crisis, uh, but more recently, I think the nature crisis has, has gained a bit of uh, uh, headlines. So why, what is the nature crisis? Well, uh, thanks, Stephen, and hi, everybody. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't think of the last time I actually siphoned an insect through my teeth when I was riding my bike or even cleaned insects off the windscreen of the car. And things that were once common are now uncommon, so mixed farm systems with wet bits left and drained. Um, in some areas, gardens are uncommon. It's all been turned to astroturf or concrete to park cars on. And I think we've really become obsessed with tidy, sort of tidy fields, tidy gardens, mown and edge, tidy hedges, and really no homes left for um, nature. And that means that once common creatures that call those places home are now uncommon, you know, from ladybirds or hedgehogs, or even from maybe some of the prayers from our youth, you know, thank you for the birds so sweet. Those birds that sing are no longer as common as, the, as their food sources and places have disappeared from farmland topland to wet, wetland. Um, so as David Attenborough said, nature once determined how we survive and now we determine how nature survives. So those challenges facing nature and climate are profound. And I'm just going to give you a few statistics. So 25% of bird species on the island of Ireland are now classified as most endangered, so red listed. Um, Northern Ireland is languishing in 229th place out of 240 countries for the amount of nature it has left. And that's just one place behind the Republic of Ireland. Uh, the, the leaders are Canada and Finland. If you want to know, they're the best countries um, or among the best countries in the world for retaining their biodiversity. So what's causing that collapse? Um, there have been uh, reports done about this. So in 2019, there was a State of Nature report and it showed that the largest impact in UK nature over the last 40 years um, was agricultural practice and changes, you know, often driven by government policy, but then closely followed by climate change. 
uh, pollution and, and over-exploitation also cause um, harm. But taken together, those are really threatening the survival of species. And at an institutional level, um, really, you could say that 2010 to 2020 was a really lost decade for nature, as many of the governments around the world, and indeed in the UK and Northern Ireland, failed to meet targets in their plans. But hope is not gone because 2021 is described as the super year for nature and uh, for climate because there are two big global conferences taking place later in the year to set those new targets. And that's really the opportunity to make sure that the next decade is the one where we accept that mission to safeguard nature and also the future of humankind as part of that interconnected um, web of nature. So it's why those targets are really important to get them into laws and to get that really systematic change alongside things that each of us can do in our own lives. Gosh, it's, it's really amazing that you kind of think of nature crisis as far away, you know, elephants going extinct with poaching or something, but you're talking about the number of birds here in Ireland in serious decline brings it home, doesn't it? You know, uh, and you know, birds that sort of migrate in different countries bring the, the connect us to those countries and things. And it's, it's hard to imagine that uh, that nature crisis is right on our doorstep until you hear things like that. Let's turn to Bob. Bob, um, ca can you tell us how the, the climate crisis or the nature crisis is affecting people in the global south or, or in Kenya for a, for, for a start? Thank you. Um, the continent is already vulnerable. The continent is already shaky. The continent is already fragile. But the climate crisis is already is, is making it even just that much more fragile. Mm. And we can look at it at, at that level. But then when you begin to look at it at the very macro level, you begin to see its effects um, in almost a personal way and, and, and very significantly so. Um, and here I want to talk about the people who are already most vulnerable in a very vulnerable and fragile continent, um, the women and the children. And, you know, just the ways in which climate is affecting the continent in different ways affects always at the end of the day, the women and the children. I was talking with a friend who um, now works with the organization I used to work with before, and I was just checking this with her. And I asked, how long did you used to walk to fetch water when uh, you, you were living up country? That was about 10 years ago. And she said, well, at that time, it was a 30 minute walk to a place where we could get reasonable water, a stream. And I asked, when you go back home for your holidays now, how long do you walk to fetch water? And she says, it's now one to one and a half hours to a larger river where we can now fetch water. Look at that already. What has that done for women and children who are generally used for household chores and tasks? That means she and women back home and children back home have to walk a longer distance, which means they have to either go earlier or they have to spend less time at home resting, or some of them have to leave school in the afternoon and attend only morning classes. And uh, they have to go, you know, by being away a longer time, probably later into the day, maybe into the night, it makes them more at risk from um, people with predatorial uh, predator habits. And, and so this just makes those who are already vulnerable just that much more vulnerable. The child who will not have the same level of education that they would have had before because they just have to take much more time 
to do these household chores and the girls as well and the women as well, the burden on them because of climate has increased. But there's a second thing. Now, we also have climate-induced conflict. Why is that? Now, I've talked about the women going a longer distance. Now, what areas that were preserved for, um, for pastoralists are now being, in, you know, preserved for farmers are now being invaded by pastoralists because their pasture is getting less and less. So those who are planting their crops are at conflict with those who graze their animals. And you know, we have two types of people in, in Africa. They are pastoralists and they are those who do their agricultural farming. And now those two areas of our society are increasingly coming into conflict. Of course, the biggest area we have that's hitting international news is Nigeria. And now the people in the north of Nigeria are coming into the central part of Nigeria, which are the highlands where you know, a lot of the farming is done because of climate change and less pasture, the pastoralists are now invading their lands. And that has now become armed conflict. And, you know, it's just escalating and becoming political. And, and then third is just to say, there's a loss of livelihoods. We don't have enough water as we used to. We can't predict the seasons and therefore plant the way we used to. Um, you know, our farmers are just not getting enough of our crop because of the same thing. And therefore productivity at many levels is so much lower. We used to have drought every seven years. Now we have it every two years. It's just made us much more vulnerable. And guess what, at the end of the day, it means we have more people dying, whether it's from hunger, drought, conflict, um, vulnerability because of you know entering dangerous spaces. The net result is we just have much, many more people dying because of climate change. Thanks, Bob. Um, that really brings it home, you know, to hear people hear you speak like that about your friends and family and their experience, you know, it, it's sobering. Um, I remember I heard Ka Professor Catherine Hayhoe speak and she calls climate change a threat multiplier and how, you know, anything that is, was slightly bad before can get a lot, lot worse and that can lead to conflict and so on. That, that brings it home. Thank you, Bob. Uh, let us turn to Gemma. Uh, Gemma, uh, we're, we've, we've put it in the context of science and nature crisis and the, how it impacts people around the world. Uh, what, can, what can churches do to change our nation uh, to help with these crises and to help people here in the middle of it all? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. So Steer Fund is a global relief and development charity, and we have become utterly convinced that we can't talk about poverty without also talking about climate, much as Bob was saying. Um, and so the, the moment the penny dropped with that link for me was when I visited our work in Rwanda um, about four years ago, and I met Anastasia. Anastasia had grown up in the post-genocide era in the country and, and lived most of her life in extreme poverty. Um, but one day she had come across a self-help group that was in a local church um, in her area and um, facilitated by Tear Fund. And she went along and um, was able to save very, very small, relatively to us, amounts of money. Um, and then was able to start farming maize and then eventually bought her own animals. And as a result, she was feeding her family several times a day. She was sending her kids to school, fully funded. And her husband had found this uh, newfound sense of purpose from working alongside his wife. 
So in many ways, they were a success story. But as Bob has said, this is something that actually can push people back into poverty. And so when um, we were filming with Anastasia and when she took me outside for one of our breaks in the afternoon, her house was on a hill and we were just looking out and all I could see um, were field crops and red, dry, cracked earth. Um, and she looked at me, she turned to me, looked at me in the eye and said, the weather is changing and told me about her, how her, how she felt this fear as a mother that she would have to uproot her children, leave all that she had learned and invested in behind and end up being displaced. And as again, Bob has said, when people are displaced, they're more likely to face hunger, less likely to access clean water and sanitation, which obviously is so important at the minute um, and are more vulnerable to things like trafficking and exploitation. So then when it comes to the church, the local church, the global church, our call as Christians to love our neighbor, first to love God, then to love our neighbor. Well, I don't think that we can love our neighbor, love our global neighbor or love even Anastasia without considering what the threat is to her life. And in this case, the direct threat is the climate crisis. So then as a church, Tierfund loves the church. We work through the local church in country. We are largely supported by local churches around the world. And we want to come alongside churches in Northern Ireland to help them both understand the climate crisis and then to learn how to act in a way that brings about lasting sustainable change. So we have a number of resources on our website. I think they'll be included in the PDF and the notes here, um, but tierfund.org if not. And the first thing we would ask you to do is to pray. Please, please pray. We have a WhatsApp group. Um, and if you sign up to that, you can get sent climate crisis related prayer requests just directly to your phone. The second thing is in terms of small groups and connections, networks. If you're watching today, you're probably interested in the climate crisis in some way. So why not get some friends along or some people in your church who you know are like-minded and run our, our Christianity and Climate Change course with Catherine Hayhoe. And she heavily inputted into it. And it just goes through, you know, what is the climate crisis? What are fossil fuels? straight through to what is the Christian response to all of that. And then the third thing would be, as a wider church, can you think about declaring a climate emergency? Can you have a tier fund speaker come along and talk to the congregation about what the climate crisis is and what our response can be? Or could you, during COP26, actually run a service or a prayer meeting um, to actually pray for our leaders who are making decisions? So again, they should be in the PDF here, also tierfund.org, or even just contact the Belfast office because we would love to help. We love chatting about this stuff. Great. Thank you. It's great to see bubbly enthusiasm as well. You know, I, I love that. <laughs> um, what I want to do for the next 10 minutes is have a bit of a roundtable discussion. So everyone can un unmute and we'll all, we'll all chat at this time together and, and Rachel, feel free to chip in too. Um, so there's this balance, I think, between what we can do as uh, organizations, churches maybe, or as an individual. Um, and does that, anyone have any thoughts on what can we do as an individual uh, and making a difference? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to give that one a, a go. I think there is quite a lot of things that we can do as individuals. And um, the first one is really to inform ourselves, inform ourselves about the climate and the nature uh, crisis. Gemma's just given you some good top tips that tier fund have um, some of the environmental organizations like RSPB have got a lot of information about the links between the climate and nature crisis but also things that you can do yourself at home whether it's out in your garden doing bits and pieces um, whether it's writing to your MPs you know you can join and campaign and do that whether it's becoming a member of some of these organizations or using your money to um, support them I think those are all absolutely uh, great things that you can do so that you can a give nature 
architecture and climate a home on your doorstep, but do some things to change the institutional arrangements as well. Mm. That's good. But what about um, if someone wanted to learn a bit of science in this, Claire, what would you point them to at first? Um, I think, well, well, Professor Catherine Heger does some amazing, um, is it Global Weirding series? They're, they're very, very nice and they're very easy to follow. Um, but as well as that, like, like her number one thing would be that you just need to start talking about it. And it's good to educate yourself, but action is really important at this stage. So get involved in your community would be my like number one thing. And never, ever vote for a politician who doesn't believe in climate change. That, that's my that's my view. <laughs> uh, I like that one. Uh, I, I do like that. Get involved with your local group. You yeah. know, my, my wife's in a wee knitting group. And uh, you kind of think, well, how's that related to climate change? Well, you know, the, the where does wool come from? You know, wool comes from various animals that live around the world and uh, good quality wool sometimes is, uh, comes from animals in, in threatened areas and things like that. So no matter what you, I love coffee, whatever, what you love, uh, it could be affected by climate change, you know. Um, what a, here's another general question. What, what could we do to advocate for change? You know, how, we mentioned, I think we touched on it a bit. Um, you know, how, how can we engage with people who can, the decision makers who can really make a difference? Thoughts on that? I'll pick up on that. Just to, you know, as Joanne was saying, getting our MPs or our MLAs, uh, you know, well, I think informing them and then getting them involved, putting on the pressure to get them, you know, raising their voices where it matters. In the north of Ireland, we have a couple of climate bills coming through the assembly. So, you know, ahead of time, contacting our, our representatives and making sure that they know that we care about this. I think that's the way that we, we vote for people. So we need to tell them what we're caring about. Yeah. And I'm interested as well about um, how can we strengthen our theological background in, in this? Um, what, what, what can we do? Uh, any thoughts? Anyone? Can I jump in again? Maybe actually Bob will have, Bob is a theologian, so he'll have thoughts just to say our resource with Catherine Hayhoe is brilliant for this because it kind of covers why as Christians, the theology of why as Christians we should care um, and talks about you know, loving God, being stewards of creation and then loving our neighbour and what that looks like. Bob, do you have any thoughts how, how people can start to um, develop their <clears throat> theological understanding? Oh, Bob's actually frozen. Sorry, the connection there must have dropped out. Uh, anyone else want to chip in on that one? You still there, Bob? I, no, he's not. Go ahead, John. I was going to chip in in a, in a slightly uh, different, different, different aspect of that because I think um, you know we can also use our power as consumers and as purchasers and in how we use our money. And, you know, quite often, um, you know, we all have bank accounts, we all have pension funds, um, we all shop in certain locations, we can write and ask those people, because in a sense, you, you need the institutional change, but you can also advocate for change in a very practical day to day way. So it's, it's a it's a not a theological response in terms of the directly related to climate, but it is about the use of money and that in turn has that impact on climate and on nature and I'll uh, Defer to Bob there. Go ahead, Bob. You're with us again. That theological question or the advocacy question? Just need to unmute again. There you yeah. go. Sure. Sure. I, I think the on this side we do need to invest in uh, in 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 actions that connect with people where they are. 
And I'll just give an example that I shared recently, and maybe some of you attended a, a meeting where I shared this, how now in Kenya, whenever we have a baptism, um, we ask the people who are baptized to plant a tree to celebrate that baptism. And it just makes sense. It's just that connection of, of, uh, of our spirituality and creation. And yet we really shouldn't be putting, making it that connection. Uh, our spirituality and creation in a sense should be one thing, but yeah, because of where we are, we try to make that connection as, as best as we could. And it speaks volumes. And my daughter has done that. And we have a tree that we planted and she's nurturing it. And now she's very keen about trees and is trying to promote the same thing in the village where when a child is born, not now the baptism, but when a child is born in the village, she wants to see how she can start a movement for them to plant a tree in celebration of, of that child. But in terms of theological education, um, and I, I would say there needs to be, if I may put it, uh, a decolonization of theology, so to speak. And, and this is what I mean. Um, the indigenous tribes, and even some of those, like the tribe my wife comes from, is a very traditional conservative tribe, the Maasai. And that's where we've planted the trees. And that's where my daughter wants to do what she's saying. They have an understanding with, with creation that is part of their theology. They, and, and you know they have not dichotomized it. And the indigenous tribes, we can learn from them. We can learn from them how they do their rites of passage and, and those various things. They actually respect creation because they, they are one with it. They benefit from it. They nurture it and they don't exploit it because it's just the way their theology is. Unfortunately, our theology um, helps us to think much about profit in a way that's not profitable, if I may put it that way. And we need a new relationship with creation through our theology. Yeah, brilliant, thank you. I like the way you mentioned trees because the Bible has trees at the beginning and trees at the end, you know, and uh, we have creation and new creation and the whole of the Bible fits inside that, that uh, beginning and end. Um, we're, I think we're, our time is nearly finished actually uh, for this seminar and uh, I, I want to thank you all for that. I just uh, want to point people towards Romans chapter 8. It's my favorite passage, I think, in, in the whole of the New Testament. It captures everything about life and the spirit and renewal and everything that New Wine talks about. And uh, verse 19 says, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed because it is groaning, you know. And uh, right at the core of the gospel it says that not just people, but the whole of creation need us to, to take steps to, to, bring the, the, to bring transformation, to bring good news, to, uh, uh, and to really, really bring Jesus Christ, not just to people, but to the whole uh, of, uh, of the planet as well. You've been listening to the New Wine Ireland podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and have been challenged by what has been shared. Thank you for joining us and we hope you'll tune in again next week.